Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice podcast. It's so great to be with you today. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane. I'm a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. A conversation in this podcast is about what matters most in our lives our mind, our thoughts, our feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. Um, for all of you beautiful souls who are constantly asking about my latest books, well, here they are. The first one, or the late, actually the latest one, not the first one, but the latest one is um, Intentional Parenting. Intentional Parenting, it's a practical guide to awareness integration theory. And it's written by uh, me and my co-authors, uh, Dr. Nicole Jaffari, which she is um, um, a professor in um, multiple universities across the United States. And her expertise is in actually uh, human development. And Dr. Eileen Manukian, where her specialty is in um, development of early childhood. And she is the uh, founder and the CEO of um, GEM Educare, which is taking awareness integration theory actually into her at the preschool and daycare and has been studying awareness integration theory um, <clears throat> for the past six years. So uh, this book, actually what it does, it uh, goes through every angle of childhood from infancy to uh, toddlership to preschool school age, uh, preteen, teen, and young adult, and not only talks to you from a developmental place of cognitive, emotional, and motor skills, but also takes the awareness integration theory into every single of these stages and shares with you and how, if you're a parent, parent your child from that perspective, um, or if you're a teacher, how to use these methodologies and interventions in your classroom with the teachers. For all of the therapists and coaches who are um, interested in learning the uh, awareness integration theory, the book Awareness Integration Therapy, Clear the Past, Create a New Future, and Live a Fulfilled Life, um, it, uh, it tells you and takes you through all the six phases, all the intervention, the philosophy, the, um, the principles of the theory, where these theories are coming from and brings the element of brain and neuroscience and all of it, and teaches you as a therapist and a coach in how to do this in uh, in your rooms with your clients. So for all of you who are wanting to do this um, work, um, take get the book. We also have a certification program um, that is three classes in the supervision, and you're more than welcome to go to awarenessintegration.com and find out how you can be a certified um, AIT therapist or a coach because Fujian app is coming in a couple months and we need as many providers who are trained in this methodology because for people who are going to go through the app, Fujian app, they're going to go through it like a self-help, but I'm sure and positive that some people want to be with someone while they go through it. And some people might have deeper work and deeper trauma that want to work with it. So I'm positive that this will be um, a very, very fruitful training for some of you would love to get trained and be able to 
work with your clients on that. Today, in this episode, I actually chat with Jennifer Fraser. She is a best-selling author, an award-winning educator. As a PhD, her doctorate is in comparative literature. Her online courses and workshops provide dynamic lessons on the impact of neuroscience has on personal development and cultural change. Her previous book, Teaching Bullies, Zero Tolerance on the Court or in the Classroom, explores what happens when the bully is a teacher or a coach. Today, we actually talk about her new book, The Bully Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health which delves into how bullying affects the brain and how the brain can heal. I've had an amazing conversation with her. It's an amazing book. Please, please read the book, listen to us, uh, listen to Jennifer share um, her expertise in this matter. It's amazing. Now, subscribe to my podcast, my YouTube channel, and connect with me through my website, bujanzane.com any of the social medias under Dr. Bujan For some of you who are interested in going through the awareness integration path as a self-help model, uh, my original book, Life Reset, the awareness integration path to uh, living the life that you, you want. It's, uh, it takes you through the whole process and you can journal with the book and uh, really go through the path. We did um, a lot of um, research even on self-help with university students. And we've gotten astonishing results in reducing depression and anxiety and raising self-esteem, self-efficacy and self-agency. So for all of you who love to work on yourself uh, by yourself, Life Reset is the book that you actually want to get. So I love to hear from you about your comments about the show, about um, any topics that you want me to talk about or you chat with my guests just love to hear from you. So please, please, please let me know. And uh, without further ado, I want to bring you Jennifer Fraser. Hello, everyone. We are with Jennifer Fraser. Dr. Jennifer Fraser, it is so nice to have you with us. Well, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much. Of course. We're going to talk about your wonderful book, The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. Um, it's very important. This is your second book that you're writing about bullying. Um, what got you wanting to write about bullying. So let's start from there first. I was working in a school and I heard directly from students that they were being bullied. So I ended up taking testimonies actually from eight students and they reported that there was a lot of homophobic slurs, swearing, yelling in the face. Um, when they tried to get away, scenes of public shaming, they'd be held in for more and that they were extremely, um, they were unhealthy, unhappy, not doing well, suffering extreme anxiety. They were really suffering and they wanted it to stop. Now, the problem was the people doing the bullying behavior were teachers. Oh. 
And so this is when I started to take a hard look at the dynamic whereby really it's adults who teach bullying to children. They role model bullying to children. Then they tell children not to do it. And we're raising our children in a world where they can see adults with very, very high levels of power and prestige publicly bullying others without being held to account in any way. So a child will be disciplined in school for bullying and treated as if they've done a, gr a great wrong. And yet we can turn on the television and in the internet and watch people at a very high level and very prestigious positions doing the same behavior and not being held accountable. So it's this, I started to really take a hard look at the broken system and how it is that we've gotten ourselves into this society of it's very confusing it's very unhealthy and i really think there's a better way absolutely and thank you for doing that you're absolutely right um i was talking to um a couple um which the husband is bullying a lot and then the the son is learning and mom was telling me that um every way that the the father the husband is treating uh, his wife and the two children are now being picked up by her son, which is about five going to six. Um, and he's using the same sentences. And when mom is telling him that that's not okay, what does he say? Dad does it. Exactly. It's exactly the issue. And I mean, what what I find fascinating in the research is that the human brain is born wired for empathy and empathy just to remind everybody it's not sympathy it's not when you feel sorry for someone empathy is when you you can really deeply profoundly relate to someone and you can make an intellectual effort to do it you can make an imaginative effort to do it or you can just feel it on a very visceral emotional level but essentially you're walking in someone else's shoes and you're relating to the, their pain or their triumph or their their intellectual breakthrough, regardless, you're very, very connected to them through empathy. And the human brain is wired this way because of course it's survival. We need to know what the powerful adults in the room are feeling, thinking and intending, or we're not gonna survive. And yet look at what we do with our children. You just are talking about um, a, a child who's five, six years old and he's, he's losing his empathy networks. We, you're watching in real time that child lose the neural networks for empathy in his brain. And yet it's one of the most sought after skills to have in the, in the in careers or the workplace. So of course a child like that will take that bullying behavior into the school and he will have identified with the aggressor. He's identifying with his dad. The father who treats his wife that way has the power. He's the aggressor. The safest place to be then is to align with him. Well, that child is gonna really struggle when it comes to friendships struggle when it comes to how to interact with a teacher. I mean, it's really a curse that we adults pass on to children and we have to stop. Um, there's an aspect in here that is, uh, uh, appears to be a temporary benefit to bullying, not a long lasting benefit. It long lasting, it destroys not only other people but themselves and all of their relationships but at that moment it holds this kind of a power and because your work you know in weaves the neuroscience with the psychology and the sociology of it all 
Um, let's also talk about this benefit that appears to be in a short term and what it does actually to the brain, because at that moment, you know, it shoots up dopamine knowing that I'm, you know, I'm powerful. And when you do this a couple of times and it appears that at that moment you're winning the game because you want it to be in control and you are controlling others and, you know, they're fearful of you and run away or give you whatever you want, or, you know, you're able to change their behavior at that moment because of that. Um, it give, It's almost like it also creates this formula that it works. Why would I change the strategy when every time I've used it, it works? So it creates this fallacy of a belief system for that person. And, uh, you know, the internal chemicals also help so that it kind of reinforces that concept you know they get a high out of that power you know in for an instant obviously any high has a crash but you know they keep re like any other addict they keep re you know doing the same thing to get the instant high for that moment not realizing the destruction that it pretty much gets created can you share a bit about this piece yeah, that's, it's beautifully expressed, um, that idea of the high and the low. I really like that because I think what happens, let's go back to that five, six-year-old. That child obviously is growing up in adversity. And we know from the research, we know from medical research that when children are exposed to domestic violence, whether it's emotional or physical or uh, sexual, it's very, very unhealthy for their brains. We know that it correlates, as, you, as, as you're talking about Fujin, with long-term implications. We know it's correlated with chronic health disease in midlife and shortened lifespan. So imagine that child and this developing brain he has he has this all this stress at home. So the stress is chronic because his father and, and mother are unable to sort out this uh, bullying dynamic that they have that's also being um, imposed upon the children. So this boy has all this stress and he has a choice from a brain perspective. He can go into fight mode and feel better, just as you described. He can change the, the pumping up of adrenaline and cortisol which is going into his brain, which is a natural response to a predator, to a threat. Well, his father obviously is very threatening. He threatens even the other adults in the room. So this boy has got pumping up in his, in his body and brain cortisol. And if the, if the cortisol levels don't come down, they actually are incredibly destructive both to the body and the brain. They do a lot of damage. And because it's not it's not natural. You're supposed to be able to go back to the family cave when there's a predator and, and attain safety. Well, this boy doesn't have a cave to go to where there's safety because the predators are in the cave, namely his mother and father. And I'm not trying to say this is a judgment or a blaming, shaming of these adults. I, I know they're part of a cycle and they're acting out their own uh, problems with their brain, but I'm just showing the cycle. So this boy, he goes to school feeling terrible. He's got He's got a lot of destructive stuff going on inside him. No one can see it. The, the destruction that's happening in his brain is invisible to the naked eye. And it's not like we put our kids under brain scans when they're at school. So nobody knows what's going on for him. All he knows in a very primal child way is that he's got to somehow replace this horrible feeling, this, this corrosive cortisol feeling, the anxiety that comes with it, the stress that comes with it. He has to replace it with something. Now, he can go into fight mode and bully other children and get the dopamine. 
He can go into flight mode and just simply not go to school at all. Just try and get away from other human beings, try and get away from teachers who frighten him because he's now gotten hypervigilant. He doesn't know when the next attack is going to come from because mom and dad are always yelling and putting each other down, whatever. Then his other option is freeze. He can, just like an animal, we are human creatures. He can freeze and hope that no one sees him. So at school, he's slipping beneath the teacher's radar. He's even slipping beneath the radar of other children. He's so quiet and in such freeze mode, he's not learning anything. He too is hypervigilant. He's watching for the next kind of onslaught. So, I mean, when we see children bullying, and this is one of the things I think that could be a real game changer. We have to teach children that when there's a child that's bullying, it's a red flag that the child is suffering. It's like watching a child have an epileptic seizure, which used to be very frightening back in the day when we didn't know what that meant. Same thing with bullying. You see a child manifesting those behaviors, you are, you are seeing a full display of a child who's splitting into pieces. And why do we discipline that child? That kid needs help and his family needs help. You're in the line of work where you're brought in to consult with this sort of a very dysfunctional family and get them the support they need. All families that are struggling need that kind of support. And, and, and yet we treat bullying as if it's a very frightening thing. It's not. It's a very sad and worrisome medical issue. And that, that they need to respond with compassion when they see bullying. They certainly don't need to be afraid. They're not the one that's mentally ill. They're watching a child display it. And I think even if we had those kinds of initial conversations, we could help kids as a group, as a community, understand the situation differently in ways that would better protect victims, help bystanders, and certainly get the intervention that the bullying child needs. Yes. Everyone, the bullied brain, heal your scars and restore your health by Jennifer Fraser. And um, when we're talking about the uh, bullied brain, uh, in, in some form, it also appears that it also creates its own pattern, such as the trauma victim, that it also has its own pattern. Uh, could you share a little bit about when you say a bullied brain, what, the, what does that look like? Well, I mean, neuroscientists now talk a lot about how the brain operates as a glorious whole. It is the closest analogy to a brain, a human brain is a network. And it's so inextricably connected that you can't really talk about areas of the brain it's quite artificial but for the sake of us who are not neuroscientists it's a useful way to talk about the brain so in this artificial way imagine a brain that's being bullied or being traumatized by abuse it may well have quite an enlarged area called the amygdala that's the brain's alarm center if we can separate it out it's the threat detection system and there's been studies of prisoners, for example, in England that show that they have quite enlarged amygdala because a lot of brain resources are going into threat detection. So imagine a child who lives with abuse at home or is constantly bullied at school or in sports or wherever, um, he or she has got a hypervigilance happening. They're looking, as we talked about, for the next onslaught, the next attack. If a lot of energy is going into that part of the brain, they're not able to learn. They struggle to remember. They can't problem solve. They struggle to have social emotional relationships in, because the resources are getting funneled into this area of the bullied brain. Another thing you will see on a brain of someone who's been constantly abused, whether it's emotionally or physically or sexually, 
you might well see that their hippocampus, which is an area of the brain that is engaged in memory, memory storage, it emotionally tags things for recollection, um, that part of the brain will be quite shriveled because it gets bathed in cortisol when someone has a bullied brain. And that's terrible. I mean, that's the learning center of the brain. That's the memory center, and if you can separate it out. And um, you don't want it to be all, all collapsed with cortisol. You want it to be plush and healthy and full of memory and learning and problem solving and creativity and emotion. So, I mean, these are the kinds of, I mean, it's very, very complex what they can see on the brain scans. They can see very, very specific damage. So just to give you one more example, um, the, there's a bundle of fibers between the left and the right hemisphere of the brain called the corpus callosum. And one of the things that's being detected in people who are abused um, is that they have very quite limited myelin around the corpus callosum. And what that means is myelin is a, it's like a fatty insulator that we build on our brains when we do lots of work. It's like practice, it deliberate practice. When you get really good at a skill, let's pretend you're playing violin, you will myelinate the, the network in the brain for the left hand because you have put in so much hard work, you practice every single day, it's become a bit of a superpower in your brain. Now, I don't play the violin, so the left hand area of the brain for being brilliant with the left hand is missing for me. I don't have a lot of myelin there. But all of us want our left and right hemisphere to be communicating extremely efficiently. Well, if we don't have a lot of myelin on that corpus callosum, our electrical signals are sluggish. They're not reaching, you know, into the two halves and, and communicating properly. So these are, and that happens from abuse. So these are the sorts of really fascinating and important things that, that scientists are seeing on brain scans of people that have been hurt in this way. Thank you. Thank you for um, sharing that. Um, so now we are seeing Either I notice it in myself that I'm a bully or I need to notice it outside. Most people uh, don't notice that they're a bully until other people keep telling them. And at one point it becomes, uh, you know, so many harsh consequences are in front of us uh, to really say, okay, I'm a bully, right? Like nobody really wants that. They'll, they'll say, I've gotten angry because of... And I gave myself the right of, of this type of a behavior because of, and we'll have a lot of justifications and reasoning for it. But rarely we notice that I am a bully um, until the consequences are there. But we're very clear about when we are being bullied or watch, even if it's not us and we're watching somebody bullying, it's very clear that it's bullying. So one of the things we could do together today also, and you have it in your book, is to also talk about what is considered bullying. Because I think that uh, justifications sometimes take away from uh, the measurement of, okay, who is just intermittently angry or always angry, or they are have an emotion of anger, but they you know uh, behave in an abusive way, or someone who's a bully. Um, for me, the, the way in which I strive to get people to come clear on what is what constitutes bullying behavior is I really align it with shaming and I really align it with humiliation, not necessarily with anger. To have anger, to have righteous anger is a very different kind of behavior in my mind. And you could probably coach me on this and teach me some deeper level thinking on it. But the way I think about bullying is you 
the bully, the person who's manifesting this behavior has a lack. So if we think of a narcissist, for example, or we think of a Machiavellian, a narcissist comes into the workplace or into the school or the sport program. And as we talked about before, they're seeking a victim because there's an emptiness. They need another, it's a codependency. They need another human being to play the role of victim. They need other human beings to play the role of bystanders. They need an audience to start to fill them back up because they have a lack. So let's take a look at your five, six year old again. He has a lack of security and he has a lack of trust. He's starting to suffer a kind of betrayal trauma within his own home where he's watching these parents act out this very destructive drama. They're supposed to love one another, care for one another, and make a safe container for their children where they love and respect their children. All of that is falling to pieces. That kid is going to school with a lack. He needs someone to fill it. He needs a mirror. He needs someone to reflect his power because his power is very unstable. He's being betrayed in some of the most important, most intimate relationships in his life. He's very unstable. So how is he gonna get stability? He's going to find someone who can put up a mirror to show that he's actually stable and he's whole and he's powerful. And going back to what you said before, he can make other people do things. Well, that's really important if you live in a home where you feel very vulnerable, very powerless and very out of control. So I think of bullying behaviors as affiliated, whether they're being done by adults in positions of power or children in their kind of desperate acting out of their own psychological trauma that they don't even know what to do with. Um, it's the second you find yourself needing to put someone down, like push them beneath you, and you need that mirror held up to you in some way, shape, or form, you know that you're struggling. You know that you're getting caught into this bullying dynamic for whatever reason that you need to sort out. But you know, if we could get people to better self-identify, children, basically, if we could get children to self-identify before it gets really wired in, it would be a lot easier to re rehabilitate them. But, you know, what we do now is, you know, you can open up the news every single day and you can read about how someone has been allowed to bully and abuse others, not for a year, not for five years, but for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And they're still in the mode that you described that the classic narcissist mode of, I'm the victim, this is a witch hunt, pity me, I'm being hurt. And they literally, I mean, they really truly at that point, they believe that to be true. That is their psychological reality. They have no concept that they are the perpetrator. They've lost, they've lost that sense. And again, I mean, I hear that personally as mental illness. In our society, we somehow allow these people to run rampant without containment and we let them harm others or infect others with this behavior. So there's also another factor um, that showed up for me as you were talking, which is because you said we allow and I agree, we allow. And, and there's, a, there's a factor about it that also the audience you just talked about that when the audience votes for you, such as, for example, you were at a school and then you you enroll other uh, people to come and root for you. Uh, you enroll them to so that you could show that this is what's going on with me. Look how powerful I am. And look to the eyes of a couple of followers that you've created. And sometimes it's the followers you've created, which are 
you bullied them, you showed that you are the more powerful. So now the promise to them is if they are inside of you, one, you won't, you know, humiliate them more, but also someday they can be in the throne beside you uh, in that way. You see that in gangs, you see that in politics, you see that in governments, you see that in um, uh, many, many, you know, schools, um, in, uh, even even you see it in the family systems where, you know, you could you could go um, to a party and you see that the person is doing this and looks into the eyes of the, some of the other people in their family system, which kind of looks like, yeah, 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 you know, this is exactly what, you know, our family does. So there is this piece of, um, I need an audience who doesn't look at me and say, oh, gross cut that shit out. It's not an audience we're looking for. The bully is looking for an audience which is applauding and looking at, oh my God, look how charming or how you know powerful that is. Can you share a bit about that based on your research? Yes, that, that's an absolutely key piece that most people don't talk about. But because I saw it in real time with my own situation with these teachers who were bullying, um, the headmaster at the school asked me to take testimonies, which I dutifully did as a teacher. I took eight testimonies and they were nearly identical. The students were just, they didn't even know each other. Some of these students, they'd never met. They, they ranged from second year university down to grade 10. So they didn't know each other, but they were reporting in identical behaviors, you know, with slightly different details, of course. And what I found completely fascinating was the way a bullying individual sets up, especially if they're in a position of power. So a teacher or a politician or a coach, or even in a family system, the powerful figure in the family system. What they do is they set up a system when they are bullying of um, the, the ones who are up on a pedestal. I call those the beneficiaries. They're the ones that get privileges they don't deserve. There's no meritocracy. They get honored, they get treated with kindness and they get privileges. Then there's the other group that are um, the targeted ones for humiliation and harm. And it can be all kinds of different forms of um, hurting, basically. So when you get reports coming in, so I've got these eight students reports. And when that happens, the system lurches into motion. And those who received the benefits, who didn't deserve them, and were actually bystanders to watching a lot of abuse, it's important for them and their own psychology, they now speak up in defense of the, of the teacher or the coach or the politician. That never happened. Don't know what they're talking about. So they, they undermine those who were reporting the crisis. They undermine their credibility. It's a brilliant system when you think about it. And this is why one of the things I get people to do when, when going back to your point about a bullying individual struggles to understand if they're doing it or not, because it's so entrenched in their brain, basically. It's so wired into their brain. Um, one of the questions you can ask them is, when you are bullying, do you bully your boss or individuals who are more powerful than you? Or do you only bully individuals that you have control over? Namely your wife, let's say, because you have the finances. Or, or you're bigger and stronger, or maybe it's because you're the teacher, you, you're not bullying the headmaster, you're not bullying the members of the board, you're not bullying parents, you would never dream of behaving that way because they have more power than you. But behind the closed doors of, of the classroom or wherever you are with your students, 
you target, you create this dual system of beneficiaries and the bullying targets. So, you know, it's a very, it's a very well established system. As you know, we've known about this for forever. We've known about it for years and yet we keep acting the same way, behaving the same way, acting as if it's an insolvable problem among child populations. So it grows every single year, it gets worse. And every single year, our suicide rate gets worse in youth populations and children suffer more anxiety and depression, failure to thrive, eating disorders, substance abuse and, and criminal justice issues. And yet we just, it really makes me, it baffles me why we cannot change this dynamic. There's such straightforward ways in which we could make really healthy, positive change and come together as a community to, to shift the whole dynamic. We just have to do it. Have you thought about um, another way of bullying, which I see a lot in, um, in societies that are um, a little bit more patriarchal? Um, so first disclaimer, we're not saying that only men bully and women don't bully. Actually, I want to share about a ways that might, you know, not even having to do much with gender, but much to do with this type of behavior where one group is more powerful and the other one isn't. Have you also considered the part of bullying, which is an emotional bullying, not from the concept of anger and shame, but from the concept of victim and guilt, which is, I don't have the power to yell and scream and control you in a direct way, but I do have the power to control you and bring shame and guilt to you in, an, uh, in a non-direct way, which is the crying bouts and I'll kill myself if you do this and, you know, um, and then the extreme drama that gets created uh, that will ultimately control you, but it's more from the other part of the extreme, which comes from this complete victimization of, look at what you're doing to me. And just because of that, you know, I'm gonna go kill myself. Um, can you share a bit about that piece? Yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's an excellent demonstration of how our system is so profoundly confused and divorced from science. Because we privilege the body in our society in general, of course, we're making generalizations, but in general, we privilege the body. We're actually, you might argue, obsessed with the body. We spend a lot of time talking about, you know, you can turn on social media and hear every single day about a particular woman, it usually is, who has a sculpted body, a body part, her, her abdomen or her legs, they are sculpted. You cannot, I, I challenge your audience and send me an email if you find this. See if you can find anyone in the world on a given day talking about and admiring someone who has sculpted their brain. Because the brain, just like the body, actually is highly responsive to the practices that you do. It completely change, changes and can be seen on a brain scan based on what you do. So what you're describing is, again, it's the bullying brain. It's codependent. It doesn't have a holistic self. It is missing um, what I call, uh, in the book, I talk a lot about the goal being alignment between the mind, the brain, and the body. If you can attain that sort of holistic health, you have got it made. 
because you don't need other people. It doesn't matter what someone else does. It's never going to affect your mental health, how you conduct yourself, how you feel about yourself. I mean, the second anyone says to you, because of you, I will do, you're, you're talking codependency, you're talking passive aggressive, you're talking someone who is fragmented. And you know, what I found so fascinating in my, in researching this book was that, and it was a, it was a self-revelation in a sense, because I couldn't understand, you know, I, I learned through the research and I learned through the writing process. I couldn't understand what was going on in terms of the bully being a split personality. So really what's happening is a bully is manifesting a borderline personality disorder. They've got one personality for the beneficiaries, as we talked about. They have another, like completely different person operating who, who's harmful and hurtful and targets individuals. The Machiavellian, same thing. The Machiavellian is manipulating all these people over here and getting them to do things and take their work and behind the scenes kind of playing them off each other and, and really loves the challenge of lying to them. And then the Machiavellian on the flip side is a different personality who's ingratiating him or herself with higher ups, those that have more power. And it all stems from a lack of self-identity and confidence, basically. This is not a solid, holistic individual. So all of these different forms, um, you have the, this kind of borderline personality disorder in the abusive individual, and yet reel it back and look up and, and you'll see that that was done to them they were made borderline, like you're describing this five-year-old. This five-year-old's already showing signs of identifying with a very aggressive, hostile individual in his home. Well, he's not going to be able to take that personality and make any friends with it or work with a teacher. All of that, he will have to be a different personality because it won't work. It will get him into a lot of trouble and it will isolate him. And so he'll have to be one person at school and another person at home. So that type of split is what really fascinated me. And what I learned is you usually, I mean, in the research, you become this borderline personality disorder individual by being abused. It's what causes it. And yet you use that personality to abuse others. This is where the cycle has to be understood. It's not a, this is why I don't like any blaming, shaming of people who manifest these behaviors. My, my heart goes out to that five-year-old. I actually even feel compassion for the father because to my mind, that father is really, really unhealthy. If he was standing there and his legs and arms were broken, I'd feel a lot of compassion. What I'm seeing, because I know enough now about what his brain must look like, he's got a very broken brain and he desperately needs help. And so why wouldn't I feel compassion for that? Yeah, it's a lot of suffering inside a lot because that kind of uh, anger and rage and humiliation and shame that is inside or the victimhood that is consistently poor me it creates a lot of suffering inside and what we're seeing is the expression outward expression and the strategy somehow to you know to alleviate the suffering but unfortunately these behaviors again the short-term benefits might be very very small but the uh, the long-term benefits, which are gonna affect your life and everybody around you and all the relationships are consistently gonna eat you from outside and inside. So when someone actually acknowledges that I am a bully or I, um, not as a character, but as a behavioral kind, like I am bullying, let's say, and then they have the capacity to do something 
and and um, shift their behavior and heal their wound and and all of it. And that's what exactly you know the uh, message of your book is. Even the title says, "The bullied brain heal your scars and restore your health." And I love the sentence that you said. I'm going to borrow it. Uh, you said, "Sculpt your brain." I love that sentence. You're right. You know, it'd be so amazing if we all took on this, you know, and multi million dollar um, uh, devices would come consistently so that, you know, uh, instead of us having our stomach and our face and all of that look good, devices are there to create brain health and we could sculpt our brain in the way to, to be healthy. Hey, hey, for those days, please, please, whomever is listening who has the ability to create those devices, please do and and create that. So yes, I love that uh, sentence. And and uh, so now let's talk about a little bit of the uh, the healing of the scar, whether it's for the person who finally acknowledges that I am bullying and I need to take care of myself and this behavior no longer works, or for the person who is in the midst of, you know, being bullied consistently and how could they take care of themselves? Yeah, that's that's really what I sort of set my sights on figuring out. Um, and the neuroscientists and the psychologists and the psychiatrists and the medical doctors, they all have a lot of um, knowledge about this. It's just that in our society, it's not taught. So our kids aren't learning. I mean, if I was redesigning a school right now and creating curriculum, I would foreground um, mind and brain and body health for kids. I think it's the most important thing for them to learn. And you can teach them everything else later. You can teach math and geography and English and all those things down the road. But if, if our kids aren't healthy, if they aren't safe, if they aren't knowledgeable, knowledgeable about how to create the conditions for a healthy mind, brain and body, then they're they're gonna suffer and that's, it's just not necessary because we have so much knowledge. So in the book, there's, what I do is talk about how all forms of bullying and abuse harm the brain. And I, I give you those tough uh, research studies and, and walk you through it. But then my goal was to inspire people and empower them to understand that. Yes, you might've had your brain hurt and you might be worried that your child's brain is being hurt and guess what? you can do a whole bunch of different, very practical, very inexpensive, um, applicable exercises and practices to change that. So the key thing for people to understand, and I build it into every chapter, there's an action step. But the key thing to understand is we all have neuroplasticity or brain plasticity, the ability to change our brains by what we do and by what environments we're in until the very last day we are on the planet. It used to be believed not so long ago that the brain was very rapidly changing and developing from zero to five, and that it was pretty much set for life. And that's why teachers feel really comfortable or coaches feel comfortable, music teachers telling you whether or not your child has talent. Well, that is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Nobody knows anything about a child's potential until far later in life. And even then, because we can change our brains, it can change. But the human brain does not become mature until the age of around 24 or 25. So we look at our young people, we look at our teenagers, we look at our 20-somethings, and we treat them as if they should be adults. Well, they have immature brains. Their brains are undergoing rapid development. So I think that's a very important part to know 
Um, it's a great gift in the sense that when you're young, you have greater neuroplasticity than, than after 24, 25. So if you can catch destructive behaviors, you can self-identify, if you can listen to your community, if you can work with a mental health practitioner, um, that would be key is start as early as you can to address these behaviors and change them. Now, we, we have no problem understanding in our society that if you do um, a soccer skill every single day and you practice and you have an empathic coach, chances are good you're going to become very, very skilled at soccer. Cut to when you're 18. We need to teach the same way of working with the brain. Um, the brain is highly responsive to mindfulness, for example. The research is unbelievable on how much mindfulness can create healthy brains. And I use it as a technique to really um, help a person who's being bullied or abused. I use very specific mindfulness practices to address that. Another key thing to know would be um, aerobic fitness is amazing for brain health. It blasts stress harm right out of your brain, cortisol, right out of your brain. And it also prevents it from taking hold of your brain. It creates a, it's called brain-derived neurotropic factor. It doesn't matter. Everybody just calls it BDNF. But if you just remember, uh-oh, I'm feeling really stressed out. I'm shallow breathing. Oh, I'm feeling, you know, panicky. I don't, my health feels awful. You got to take a deep breath, put on your running shoes or your martial arts outfit or your skates or your water skis and get outside and get moving because you know that the BDNF, it's like a fertilizer for your brain. It's so good. You're going to pump that up into your brain and you're going to reduce the cortisol and that's within your control. So fitness is key. Mindfulness is key. And then the third one is pretty fun. Um, you will know because you've read the book, but uh, Dr. Michael Merzenich is one of the world's greatest neuroscientists. He's one of the most highly awarded. He's essentially a full-on genius. He's an amazing man. Anyhow, he took the bullied brain, heal your scars and restore your health, under his great neuroscience wings. And he wrote the foreword and then he dialogued with me all through the book saying, oh, a neuroscientist wouldn't use that vocabulary. And I thought, oh my goodness, this guy's a genius. I just took his voice and I put it right into the book so that readers could listen to him speaking like I was privileged enough to do. And this is a great story about how even someone with a very high performing brain can take it to the next level. That's why no one knows just how sculpted you can become. So as many of your listeners will know, Tom Brady is arguably one of the greatest, uh, he probably is the greatest quarterback ever to have played football in the history of the game. Well, what's interesting about him is he's 45 now and he's competing with 22 year old brains and outperforming them. How is that possible? Well, he has an excellent physical trainer, of course, but that physical trainer phoned up Dr. Michael Merzenich's lab, his name is Alex Guerrero, phoned them up and he said, oh, neuroscientists, I'm sure you know that Tom Brady is using your brain training program. And they were shocked because they, were, they had developed this program for Alzheimer's. They were trying to get brains super fit so that they kept alive and well as the, our bodies live for so much longer. Let's keep the brain open keep the dementia away. Let's put the brain through all these exercises so that it doesn't get you know, out of shape. But Tom Brady is also using that brain training program every single day to have the most high performing brain possible. So Dr. My Michael Merzenich's program costs like the same as a coffee once a month. It's a, an expensive coffee, a $7 coffee, but that's really how inexpensive it is. If we could get all our kids doing the brain training program, if we could get our elderly people doing the brain training program, keeping their brains healthy and strong, our elite athletes, and most of all, 
are people that have traumatized brains. Traumatized brains from bullying and abuse are highly responsive to this kind of exercise because rather than pouring all your energy into hypervigilance and into some of the, the eroded neural networks that you have because you were really hurt a lot as a, as a person, you can start to build your brain back to better, build it back better. I hate to use that expression. Let me change that. You can strengthen your brain and make it um, as high performing as you want, as much time you put into it is going to bring it back to health. Beautiful. And what is the name of the program? It's called Brain HQ. It's online. It's gamified. So think Brain Headquarters, brainhq.com. It's been tested by hundreds of neuroscientific groups like Johns Hopkins and top UCLA. They've gone, they've looked at this neuroscience developed program and they're just like, wow, it's really effective. So yeah. it's, it's a wonderful thing to do. I've been using it. It is spectacular. Oh, uh, there you go. Of course you're using it. It's spectacular. <laughs> Um, it train it actually trains you. It um it it takes you to the edge, and then it gives you a little bit of leeway, and then it takes you a little bit further, and it's uh, it's done amazingly. I went to I was I kept thinking I'm sixty, and I kept thinking I'm not really having facial um like people come to me and they're like oh my god they feel like they're my best friend I'm like who is this or uh you know I used to just see you know 15 clients and then um per day and then kind of sit down and do all the notes and today i have to actually write the notes inside the the session or i won't remember it later so i did all the neurology you know all the tests and everything and it's like well you know obviously your brain isn't as sharp as before it's still working pretty well but your short-term memory might be going down and um uh, one of my relatives who's working um, with that group is uh, have been working with them for a long time um suggested that to me and it is fantastic it's thank you thank you for bringing that up um jennifer anything we haven't talked about that uh, you really want people to know if you could share it in about one minute or so i think I, I just would love to end on the note of compassion because one of the catchphrases i use to help myself sometimes is hurt brains hurt. So when you see someone who's hurting someone else, you need to just remind yourself, hurt brains hurt. You see someone out of control or lashing out, hurt brains hurt. You see somebody hurting themselves, it's because they have a hurt brain. So I think that if we brought that compassion piece to one another and, and helped one another by seeing it as a medical problem, not a moral problem, then we would, we would create a healthier world. So that would just be my final takeaway. Beautiful. So everyone, please get the book, The Bully Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health uh, by Jennifer Fraser. Jennifer, um, how, can, how can they find you? Um, my website, I've changed everything. So now my website is Bullied Brain because I want to really keep shining a spotlight on the notion that we ignore our brains. We bully our own brains. We got to start paying attention to them. So my website's bullybrain.com. My Twitter is at bulliedbrain, et cetera. So I just, I'm using it as my kind of catch all. You can email me on the website. I've got tons of free resources on the website. Uh, lots of articles. I write a regular uh, blog now for psychology today, and I really work on this issue. So if this is an issue for you, please jump over to the website. And there's lots of things that um, lots of research there. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much for having me, Christian.
And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye.